Hey everyone, we are back for season six of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Marina Buxov, a functional medicine pharmacist and holistic herbal educator. I'll be sharing inspiring stories of my guests who have shifted into holistic modalities, both personally and professionally. My co-host, Dr. Jenna Carmichael, will be joining me to lead the Journal Club episodes to share an evidence-based approach to holistic and herbal medicine. I'm so glad you're here and hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Today, I talk with a fellow pharmacist who became a patient going through our healthcare system, desperate for answers and having to advocate for herself from the other side of the treatment counter. We discuss what it takes to stay healthy in today's post-COVID world, when so much remains shrouded in mystery, and yet going back to the basics of self-care can still make a difference. Long COVID symptoms are very real and affect a significant part of the population. As healthcare providers, it behooves us to gain a general understanding of the disease so we can be there for our patients and provide them with symptom mitigation strategies. Salam Kabani is an infectious diseases pharmacy specialist who got her doctor of pharmacy degree in 2019 and went on to complete a PGY-1 pharmacy residency. Despite being fully vaccinated at the time, she had breakthrough COVID infection with the Delta variant in August of 2021, which was then followed by a long COVID journey. Becoming disabled changed her life in so many ways, both good and bad, and she decided to write a memoir detailing her long COVID journey to raise awareness about the condition, and most importantly, to let other long haulers know that they are not alone and they matter. She's now proudly a patient advocate and believes in spreading empathy through honest and open communication. Her book, COVID Long Hauler, My Life Since COVID, is available in print, EPUB, and audiobook, and can be found on Amazon. So without further ado, let's welcome Salam to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today Salam Kabani, who is an infectious diseases pharmacy specialist and author. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Marina. Thank you for having me so much. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. So I'd love to just dive right in and ask you about your background, how you came to be a pharmacist, and why infectious diseases? Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually always wanted to be a pharmacist since I was a little girl. My mom's a pharmacist, and I wanted to grow up and be like her. Um, And I did think pharmacy was a lot of chemistry at the time, and that was one of my favorite subjects. Um, Cut to undergrad, where I actually started as pre-medicine, and then I did some job shadowing and I realized that medicine was very intriguing to me in terms of a subject matter, but the actual lifestyle um, and just, you know, just the way that it worked wasn't necessarily um, the kind of lifestyle that I wanted. And so that really took me back to pharmacy, where a big part of that was counseling patients on their medications. And to me, that was the point in their care where, um, you know, they were being a little more proactive, theoretically, right? If someone's picking up their medications, then hopefully they're seeking care. Um, and that's the point in their healthcare process where I wanted to intervene. So that's really what got me into pharmacy. Um, infectious diseases actually happened my third year of pharmacy school. Um, I realized that, you know, ID is like a jigsaw puzzle, which is one of my favorite pastimes, having that third layer of complexity where now you have the patient, the disease state, as well as an organism that you have to figure out how to treat 
without, you know, causing toxicity to the patient, that was just a whole different level for, for me. And I have not had any regrets. You know, I'm never bored in what I do. That's really how I became to be an infectious diseases specialist. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about the thought process of, I'm assuming you pursued a residency. So tell us about that and, you know, kind of the pros and cons of going into a residency program. Absolutely. Yeah. So I did a PGY1 residency. I actually did not complete a PGY2 and ID, just a general hospital one. Um, And I'm now seeking like an antimicrobial stewardship certificate training. Um, I will say the pros of residency, you know, it definitely fast tracks your career. You gain so much clinical experience and you also have preceptors that you're working under. And yes, you're a pharmacist, but you're still training when you're a resident. So you really have this added layer of security as well as um, pharmacists who are a little more seasoned than you are that you can resort to for questions and learn even more from them. Um, So I I really appreciate that aspect of residency and it definitely gives you a lot of um, on the job preparation as well in terms of operational things. Um, So that's, that's really why I decided to do residency. Um, and then after that, I actually went into a clinical specialist role overnight and that really required a high level of autonomy. So I think going into a residency was excellent preparation for that. And I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? I think you got them all, but I think, you know, I just want to loop back to the jigsaw puzzle. And yeah, yeah, I love that comparison. And another thing I, I think that people love about infectious diseases is there does seem to be like a neat little answer at the end of the puzzle, right? Like if you put all the pieces together and you find out what the bug is and then you could treat the bug and of course choose for most efficacious and least toxic and it makes you feel happy and it's rewarding, right? Because you're helping the patient and, you know, quote unquote, killing the bug. So we seem to have figured out, you know, the guidelines and have a very, you know, play in the color of the numbers, right? Coloring by the numbers kind of a where it's like, okay, if this is the case, then that's the answer. So it's nice to have that guideline, whereas in other clinical areas, it's not as um, neat and tidy. And uh, also the the good thing is most of our infectious, as we used to think about them, at least now it's a little bit different with a lot of the chronic things, which we'll get into, but acute infectious diseases usually have that solution and that resolution where you can treat and then end treatment, and then you don't have to put somebody on a medication for life, which is awesome. Um, So talk to us a little bit about your experience and I guess the irony of, um, of what happened to you as far as COVID and then what inspired you to write the book. Absolutely. Yes, it is very ironic. Um, So I, you know, I personally am a believer in vaccines. And so as soon as the vaccine came out, um, I was vaccinated and thought this is it, you know, I'm never going to get COVID. Well, the universe had other plans. Um, I remember getting my second shot in January of 2021, cut to the end of August. Um, And if you recall, that's when Delta was kind of spreading um, and, and Delta was, you know, very vicious. And so I actually had a breakthrough infection right before the boosters were approved. And um, it was really nasty. Like I never needed to be hospitalized, but I was at home for 40 days 
um, could barely get out of bed or, you know, off the couch, um, just so many symptoms. Um, some of the things that you would expect, like really bad coughs or throat, um, you know, some of the GI symptoms, and then just extreme fatigue um, to the point where like, I needed to walk from my couch to the restroom. And that was maybe like three feet away, I would need to use a cane. Um, it, it affected everything. I was having dizzy spells, my heart rate and blood pressure would like plummet and then my heart rate would skyrocket. Um, just so many things that were really jarring to the body, you know? Um, so then after that, I went back to work thinking I was finally recovered only to go on disability about a month later. And I stayed on disability from the end of November of 2021 until mid August of 2022. Um, just because I ended up having something called long COVID also known as PASP or post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2, also known as long hauler syndrome. Um, you know, people, there's a lot of different names out there for it, but it's really uh, some people get COVID and then they just don't fully recover for months afterward, or some people may even have asymptomatic COVID. And then up to six months later, they can develop new symptoms that were never there. It's really tricky to diagnose just because um, it is kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. And, and, you know, it does take time to recover from that initial infection. Um, but my provider luckily recognized right away that this is what I was having. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, I went through a lot that year, um, had to seek higher level of care at the Cleveland Clinic and then later Stanford. Um, cut to me publishing my memoir, uh, COVID Long Hauler, My Life Since COVID, where I really just detailed all that I went through. It's not a medical book. I know I'm an infectious diseases pharmacist, but um, it's really just what it was like being a patient and having a chronic illness that, you know, was so new to the world that some people still haven't heard of and what that level of isolation felt like, you know, because it's it is very unique. And at the time that I had it, um, I wasn't aware of how many other people had it. So I really felt isolated. And, and that was not a feeling that I wish upon anyone, you know. Um, so that's kind of how I got to where I am today. And I'm really glad I can share this with you. Yeah, thank you so much. And it sounds definitely a bit um, challenging, to say the least. And yeah. I, I can totally relate that going through the healthcare system is not um, something that's very simple. Uh, it's not always conducive to the best way to heal because sometimes it causes a lot of stress, especially when we start talking about finances. And then also there's never really a guarantee that your providers are giving you, you know, all the information because they might not be aware. And especially yeah. With something like this, like you said, this was something the world has been dealing with, you know, pretty recently, and there's so many nuances and a lot of unknowns. So I can totally, totally resonate with that. And then for somebody who is not a healthcare provider or doesn't really know what goes on in the healthcare system, it must be even scarier. So I can totally relate to that as well. So tell us about some takeaways uh, about this experience and what um, what it was like, maybe a little glance at what you share in your book. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, going through it was very eye-opening for me. You know, I 
have a much deeper understanding of chronic illness and disability now, something that I thought I understood before, but truly didn't until I became a part of that. Um, as a healthcare provider, you know, I have so much more empathy for my patients now. And when I'm, you know, thinking of a medication to use to treat a patient, I'm really thinking full picture now, like, is this something feasible? Is this something their insurance will approve? Um, and things like that. Um, another takeaway that I really learned is how important taking care of my body as a whole is. I think that a lot of long haulers have different experiences just because there can be so many symptoms associated with long COVID. But one thing that most will agree on is your body just becomes very sensitive to nutrition, to sleep, um, to rest. And that kind of holistic approach is something that I didn't necessarily um, think of so much in the past. But now I make sure that I'm getting eight to nine hours of sleep. You know, that's sacred to me because if I don't, I really suffer. I make sure that I'm hydrating. And by hydrating, I mean at least eight glasses of water a day. Um, similarly, kind of watching what I'm consuming, what kinds of foods I'm putting in my body, um, any nutrients or supplements while I'm not necessarily you know, uh, saying that one thing helps with long COVID versus something else, I do personally want to make sure that I have an adequate vitamin intake. Um, and so that's something that I also supplement with. And so just being attuned to that holistic approach has been a really big takeaway for me. Yeah. And even in the past, in traditional systems, when they didn't know the causes behind certain diseases to name them as infectious microbes and even classify them into what we know now are different microbial organisms that belong to different families and kingdoms. Um, before they knew that, even though they didn't see this invisible foe, um, there was this germ versus terrain theory, right? Where the, it's a balance between how strong somebody's body is to be able to deal with a microbe, right? So yeah. yes, the microbe is part of the picture, like you said before, part of the jigsaw puzzle, but then the other part is the host, right? Mm -hmm. So how healthy the host is initially is going to also matter. And that's why supporting the health and the foundation of our health initially and through the process is always going to be baseline and first line. We can't, even if there are medications, which in this case, um, they probably couldn't offer you much solutions. Um, but even if there are pharmaceutical interventions available, we always want to make sure to continuously monitor and assess and provide the body those pillars, the foundational pillars of health, which you mentioned sleep, uh, stress management, nutrition, physical activity, those are probably the biggest pillars. And in today's world, we just focus on, you know, accomplishing and doing and achieving. And then we take a toll out of our health bucket by trying to do all the other things. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, I'm actually currently enrolled in a clinical trial in Stanford. Um, and I don't know 100% what I got yet, but we think that I most likely got the active drug versus the placebo just because there's been a complete 180 in my health. Um, so that's been wonderful. However, um, what you were saying is very accurate in that even though I'm doing better now, because I, I think I got an antiviral, um, 
I still notice a difference and a deterioration in my health. If like, I don't hydrate enough, or maybe I'm very stressed out and not taking care of my mental health, or I don't get that sleep. And that really goes to showcase uh, what you're saying, where yes, medication is important, but also this other holistic aspect of taking care of your body and nurturing it as a whole really matters. Yeah, absolutely. So how does this change or inform you as a pharmacist and you most likely are working in the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. So what can we take away as far as, you know, clinicians and professionals and uh, people who provide acute care, and then also those who may be able to provide um, chronic care or continuing the care after somebody's discharged? How can we start to think about incorporating the holistic approaches with the conventional approaches? Yeah, I think really listening to your patients and kind of making sure that they understand whatever disease state you're treating, first of all, is really important. Because as someone who went through the healthcare system as a patient, you know, it's very fragmented, at least in the United States. And that can be really challenging for someone who doesn't have any health literacy. And so making sure that they understand their resources and, you know, as a physician or a pharmacist or someone managing the patient in the acute setting, you unfortunately might not necessarily have all the time to spend in terms of, um, you know, explaining things as much as you would like. But what I think is really important is making sure to give your patients resources so that when they are discharged, they can then, um, you know, either reach out to you in a clinic or reach out to a support group where they learn about chronic management of their disease state and how through a holistic approach, perhaps, whether it's just taking care of their body or um, using other holistic approaches to manage those disease states. Obviously, it depends on what the disease state is, um, but, you know, kind of recognizing what those options are and how to be able to have access to them. Um, I think accessibility, too, is a really big issue that oftentimes we don't think of when we're in the acute setting, but it can be a very limiting factor for a patient. Um, So just making sure that, you know, you have all your bases covered in terms of like what the patient, what resources they have available to them and whether or not they're feasible and really explaining to them that, yes, you know, you're getting this medication now. That's great. But you also have to take care of your body after you're done with this acute illness. Otherwise, you might fall into the same thing over and over again. Um, And, you know, we certainly can't prevent all diseases, you know, someone can be the healthiest person in the world, and they might get a random infection, you know, but I do think that when we're taking our preventative measures, we can augment our chances of winning over whatever organism or infection we may be subject to. Yeah, and I think early diagnosis is also key, which means that we are vigilant, we pay attention to our symptoms and the signals that our body's trying to tell us. And I think often in the Western approach, we think that once the symptom is gone, you know, it's all good. But the symptom has a purpose for existing, it's trying to alert you to consciously notice that your body is not well or something is off or out of balance. And that's why the symptom is appearing. So us always suppressing the symptom doesn't always get at why the symptom is appearing, right? So I think both trying to make you more comfortable in the interim 
and you know whatever method you choose to do but know the side effects know the benefits know the pros and the cons and make an informed choice but at the same time let's try to figure out what's actually at the root cause which is what functional medicine is all about and uh and really make sure that we are supporting you in getting better not just suppressing your disease symptom but actually supporting your system to be able to put itself back into balance. And often the pharmaceutical interventions are not enough to restore balance. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100% with that. Um, and I know I had the privilege of meeting with Dr. Schvelt, um a few weeks ago, and he's done so much research in um, COVID. And I know he was talking about how with some of his patients, he talks about the significance of just spending time in the sun and helping reset some of that oxidative stress in the mitochondria that can happen with long COVID. And, you know, it sounds like such a simple thing, but it can be very impactful. Um, and that might just be one part of the treatment regimen, but it is nevertheless a very important one. Yeah. And I also want to go back to the accessibility piece. And I think it's so important that as we're finding new information, and sometimes it's a recycling of old wisdom, right, about how we can support our bodies and proper nutrients, as you said, is one of those things. And so we can get them from food, ideally, but the food has to be high quality. And it's very difficult in today's market, and unfortunately, today's ecosystem and environment to get quality food, even if you shop organic. And if you do shop organic or local farmers markets, it's way more expensive than going, you know, and getting some processed junk food. So, so it does become a matter of accessibility and cost. And then the other side of it is supporting industries that are trying to do the right thing um, and using your consumer dollars towards those companies, those farmers, those people that are trying to do the wrong, the right thing. And at the same time, realizing that overall, what's happening globally is affecting everybody. So toxicity, environmental pollution, heavy metals, soil depletion, you know, all of these things are affecting us as a generation, which is why there's more and more chronic diseases because our bodies can't get enough nutrients from even the best food. And then what do we do next? We try to supplement, right? Um, and then that's a whole wild west game because they're not always equal in you know quality. And also our body does have to do work to break down the dosage form, whatever that is, that, which is why I love using natural herbs and spices and foods and teas, which kind of um, helps with that. And powder forms are also one of my favorite. But that is all added expense, right? If we're just talking about the consumer and not everybody can afford those things. So I love yeah. the other things that you mentioned that can be completely accessible, which is just making sure you go to sleep early, right? Um, so not only the quantity of sleep, but going to sleep by a certain time, and then also not exposing your body to blue light very close to bedtime is something you could do. Activating mm -hmm. your parasympathetic system mm -hmm. by just breath work or a lot of other ways to um, access and stimulate your vagal tone. And um, those things can all be free. And then going out into the sunlight or spending some time in nature. And there's there are scientific reasons for why these things work and they're multifactorial, right? So the sunlight and activating your vitamin D um, 
but then there's also the actual light that we're absorbing and there's the you know antidepressive qualities and the anti-inflammatory yeah. qualities so there's so much behind it we don't need any more evidence to know that these things are good for us right and uh also fasting is something that could be free whether it's intermittent fasting or other types of fasting that actually have a lot of evidence behind them as well. And we see more and more people advocating for it and looking into the science, even though, you know, they had their share of um, naysayers in the past. It's something that is a really valid and different, it of course is not right for everyone, but, um, but it is possible to find a fasting schedule that's working for you, depending on if you are male or female and your hormones and your age and other factors. And then also how you respond and noticing and monitoring those levels and hormones and insulin and your metabolism. So all of that is possible and it doesn't cost a dime and it actually will save you on food costs and actually will give you more time back. So all of these, I think, should be part of what we talk about in healthcare. Yeah, um, I agree, you know, and there's a lot of research going on right now, looking specifically at intermittent fasting and long COVID. Um, And I say that with a grain of salt, because for some people, like when I was really at my worst, I had a lot of the dysautonomia symptoms. And for whatever reason, my blood sugar just became very sensitive to changes. So like, if I didn't eat for maybe two hours, my blood sugar would drop to like 55, you know? <laughs> so obviously it's not for everyone, but um, for patients who maybe have other symptoms that aren't as impacted by their diet directly, um, you know, there, there is a lot of research out there looking at intermittent fasting and some people swear by it. So I think that's definitely, um, that's definitely an, an, interven- an intervention that can be really helpful. Um, and I do wanna touch really quickly on um, sleeping early. Because I know for a lot, a lot of long haulers, um, sleep is something that is impacted. And for me, I just had insomnia for months. And so one non-medicinal tip that I can offer is, you know, really looking at your environment. So using blackout curtains, um, some people need like a white noise machine. For me, it was putting in earplugs, using an eye mask, you know, all things that are relatively affordable, but can really help you reset that sleep cycle. And again, you know, they may not work for everyone, um, but I think there's so many approaches out there that can really help either reset our body without needing to take medications, you know, if that's something that's not accessible or available, or they can certainly help supplement medications as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask you, Salam, what do you think, if you could narrow it down, is like the top intervention that you think was the most helpful in this whole process? So I'll be honest, in terms of medications, um, I so I actually ended up getting three COVID infections. Um, and so I did end up taking Paxlovid the second and third time. And I think that having that antiviral really did help me. Um, but there were a lot of other things. And I think Physical therapy and speech therapy were incredibly helpful, um, which is interesting because they're not medications, right? But helping my body understand how to take care of itself, you know, what exercises will help strengthen my muscles, 
without being overpowering and really set me back. Similarly with speech therapy, that really helped my memory. It also helped me how to um, breathe a little more calmly so that when I was starting to get anxious or starting to get stressed out, I could kind of control my breathing and help with that. Um, Those were very helpful. And I know that a lot of people might be, you know, seeing this, hearing this and wondering, well, what does speech therapy have to do with it? But it's actually a lot deeper than I had ever known. Um, And I know for me, like I was having some memory issues, some word finding difficulty and speech therapy was a really big part of that. Um, So I think going to those therapies and really taking care of my hydration, um, that's huge. And I know for a lot of long haulers, you know, dysautonomia or POTS, syndrome, basically all these alterations and blood pressure and heart rate are a big component. Um, so not trying to dismiss everything else that I did, but I think hydration status is actually very important. Um, so if I were to say what's, what's one takeaway, you know, holistically that whoever is seeing this should, should take away, um, make sure you're hydrating very, very well, as simple as it is, it has such a profound impact. Yeah, I love that. And yes, Thank speech you. therapy was a little surprising as well. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, these solutions do exist in the conventional world because these are, you know, typically things that are covered by insurances as long as, you know, you may need a referral and things like that and an approval. Um, but it does make sense and speech, like you said, is also tied into breath and it has a vibration and sound. And so it's also so multifactorial and how it activates certain neuronal pathways. And I also want to go back to the sugar crashes, right? Not being able to, to sustain the proper blood glucose levels and not fuel your brain because your brain is the biggest user of glucose. So when we're stressed, we're in chronic fight or flight and our adrenals are just going crazy and haywire. That's when our body's trying to get enough fuel for our brain to start making decisions and save our life. So that's kind of why I think, you know, we need to really talk about what's happening in order to decide like, okay, well, how do we support the body at this state versus when would fasting be appropriate? So I just wanted to comment on that. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, let's see, what have you tried anything with a holistic practitioner or where did you go to for resources to learn about what else you could do to support the body besides things that maybe your doctor prescribed or therapies that you just mentioned? Yeah, so, um, you know, I know it's not the most conventional place, but Instagram actually has a very large long COVID community. And I think because it's so new, long COVID is also tied with chronic fatigue syndrome, it's also tied with dysautonomia. And so, um, you know, you find a lot of groups, a lot of support groups, as well as personal accounts, um, clinician, clinician accounts, holistic accounts, um, there's a very large community on Instagram. So sometimes I would literally just search, you know, like put in a hashtag, like long COVID recovery or something to that effect. Um, and I was actually able to find a lot of different pages, a lot of practitioners, some who have um, like a more integrated approach, you know, a little bit of traditional Western medicine, a little bit of holistic recommendation, and some who are completely relying on 
um, holistic medicine, you know, I can't say what's right, what's wrong. I think this is all so new and we're all learning together. Um, but I know there's a very large community through Instagram. Um, I don't necessarily have like a specific provider to recommend because I was going to a, rec a long COVID clinic. Um, so that's really where I was getting the majority of my care. Um, but I, I think it's very easily accessible to anyone who has access to, you know, Instagram or the internet, just searching in those keywords. I love that. Yeah. Sometimes we talk about, you know, reliable sources of information and, you know, it has to be reputable and peer reviewed and evidence-based and all of that. But also, like you said, because it's so new, one of our best sources of information is actually living through it ourselves, right? Yeah. Empirically knowing what's going on and then stories, even though they're anecdotal, from other people that are going through this or are seeing clients with this and really just gathering the data in real time. And social media is one of the best things we have in our finger fingertips to connect with these sources of information. And of course, who knows if, you know, people are being 100% transparent and, you know, truthful, but it does, you know, inform us of what else is out there and might give us ideas to research further and, you know, just ask our providers about the validity of some of those. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really sad, but I think there is a lot of gaslighting going on with long COVID. Um, and being able to have those resources is very helpful because if for whatever reason, someone is in a state where they can't get access to the medical care that they need. Or like you said, um, it is very helpful when you can take certain ideas that sound like, hey, this might be a valid um, piece of advice. You know, you can take that to your healthcare care healthcare provider, excuse me, um, and see what they have to say about it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, just to touch on some other illnesses that you mentioned that are also kind of grouped together. Yeah. This mystery presentation, right? And all these terms that we have the chronic fibromyalgia and, you know, um, so many other things like chronic fatigue syndrome and I don't know, Lyme, chronic Lyme, right? Is also yeah. a thing and that's also has, a, you know, a pathogen associated mm -hmm. with it and infectious disease that turned into a chronic um, condition that affects so many other body systems. And you know, I think for me, what really stands out among all these mystery illnesses with all these terms and not much that we can do about these diseases and not much ways that we can support people that have this diagnosis is um, they seem to all share like a neurological um, pathology and pathophysiology. So that seems to be the key. And of course, your neurology links to every other system, you know, and your central nervous system is you know, regulating everything. And so we we want to be able to support people despite their diagnosis and what is, you know, the root cause. We also want to support what is actually going on, what's being triggered, what's being inflamed, um, you know, and sometimes the answer is not, you know, more antimicrobials, even if we're suspecting a microbe. Um, sometimes it is those taking care of the body so that the body can take care of the inflammation um, and the root causes will clear themselves away, hopefully. 
Um, but yes, until this day and age, you know, we still don't have much of the answers. And from what I've researched, it leads me to believe that there's multiple root causes um, to all of these things. And some of them do have to do with how healthy the body was beforehand and what kind of immune system the body had and what kind of other things the body was dealing with as far as toxic burdens and stress so that if some other trigger all of a sudden comes along, whether that is uh, some kind of foreign invader or whether that's a, a foreign invader in the, the form of an injection, whether it's the new experimental vaccine or all the other vaccines that are now also being deb debated, these are just additional triggers that once they go into a body that's already struggling, to be healthy, these could potentially offset a host of other chain reactions, but maybe all those factors and risk factors were already in the body. We just didn't see them yet. So it's kind of like the iceberg. And once, yeah, <laughs> yeah once we trigger that last, um, you know, last thing in this iceberg, it causes a whole system to collapse. So, um, so yeah, there seems to be kind of like this breaking point and, this tipping point and what we need to do as a society it's my strong belief is to address the roots of all of our diseases that are plaguing us all as a collective and not just you know keep progressing with the individual treatments that's part of it right and i'm so happy we have individual approaches but also how can we stop from such massive you know, inflammatory, chronic, dysregulated conditions to crop up like this. Yeah, I agree um, with everything you said. It's so challenging, you know, just the way, at least in the United States, you know, our go, go, go society, um, you know, obviously that's important for the economy, for us to work and get paid, but it is very taxing. And, you know, um, like a lot of our patients, when we talk to them about managing their diet, things like that, you know, just the way that their schedules are, or based on the nature of their work, you know, they, they can barely even drink a glass of water, you know, throughout the day, let alone, you know, have a specific diet. And if, you know, if they have diabetes, they're having to inject insulin, like it just, it's a really big struggle. Um, so, and, you know, it is interesting, obviously, there's no definitive way for me to know. But shortly before I got COVID, I was working night shifts for seven months. And that was really stressful for my body. And obviously, you know, reversing sleep cycles. And right before that, I was doing residency, which we all know is very stressful. Um, so, you know, it's possible that my body was probably not in the best health. And then all that, um, all that stress, those cortisol levels, and then boom, COVID. And, and, you know, who's to say that maybe that exacerbated my long COVID? I mean, you know, there's no way for us to know 100%. But I do agree, we're like, trying to manage that stress as a society, trying to um, devise healthier work environments where people can at least take a break, eat their meal and, you know, just not feel chronically stressed um, will help overall with chronic illnesses. Yeah, absolutely. So if I may ask, what do you think, you know, you would recommend for a person that has some mysterious, you know, symptoms pop up, when should they consider COVID or long COVID as like a possible differential diagnosis? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's very challenging, because 
it can take up to 12 weeks to fully recover from a COVID infection without any long COVID symptoms. Having said that, long COVID can start up to four weeks after the initial infection. So I think depending on the severity of the symptoms, um, you know, within two months and onward um, after a COVID infection, I think that's a reasonable time frame to reach out to a provider. Obviously, if it's something more severe, like someone's having palpitations or they're short of breath, things like that, you know, you want to seek medical attention right away. Um, but I think maybe like two to three months after COVID, that's usually when, um, you know, that's a reasonable time frame to think that, okay, maybe this is long COVID. This isn't necessarily the initial infection, just um, not fully cured yet. And for people who didn't have COVID or were not aware that they had COVID, you know, um, they still can get long COVID symptoms. Obviously, that means that they were infected. They just didn't know it. And so I think anyone who is suddenly having like neurological symptoms like light sensitivity, you know, um, sensitivity to sounds, extreme fatigue they didn't have before, I think it's reasonable to consider that maybe they just had an asymptomatic infection and maybe they're having long COVID symptoms. Um, and again, that's going to be even harder to diagnose, but it's definitely something to bring up to their provider. Or, you know, if um, it's something that maybe they can manage holistically, just to look into that. Um, so I, I would say at least a month after the initial COVID infection, right? Unless, again, it's like something very severe. Um, but probably around that two to three month time frame, that's when really, you know, you can be certain that this is most likely a long COVID. Yeah. And then last thing I kind of wanted to touch base on. So how important is the actual diagnosis and to differentiate between, you know, the microbial species that may be behind it? Because we know like herpes virus lives in you forever. Lyme apparently can stick around. Epstein-Barr virus. COVID is now, you know, being discovered too as a chronic uh, illness. So how important is it to differentiate what is causing this? And will that change how we support the body and how we treat? Absolutely. I think that's an excellent question. And I think it's very important because there are a lot of ongoing trials right now looking at how to support people with long COVID and just the sequelae or long-term neurological deficits that are, or sorry, long-term uh, deficits caused by, by COVID, you know, those can be very different than, you know, chronic herpes, for example. And so the medications that we use, or not even just the medications, but the strategies will vary based on what the organism is. So for example, um, being able to be recognized as having a disability, you know, the ADA, recognizes long COVID as a potential disability, that's really important. Um, being able to, you know, maybe get an antiviral if that's something that's proven to work in the future. Um, if someone has, you know, herpes, then they can, they might be a candidate for a chronic suppression with like Valtrex, you know, whereas that's not going to help someone um, with long COVID. And so I do think it's really important um, with that regard, with regards to specific therapies, specific medications. Um, having said that, I think that the more holistic approach of like taking care of your body, you know, that's probably going to be very similar for any chronic disease because you want to focus on your sleep status, on your nutrition, on your hydration, um, you know, getting exposure to sunlight. 
So I think it may not matter as much with regards to the more holistic side. Um, obviously, if someone is taking supplements, that might be a little different. Um, I am not saying this as you know, a clinical opinion as a pharmacist. It's just anecdotally what I've heard. I know some people um, really encourage turmeric because it has some anti-inflammatory properties. And so like, that's something where, you know, if someone knows that they have long COVID, there's a lot of inflammation there that might not be present with other chronic illnesses. Um, so like that, you know, knowing that they might focus more on taking turmeric, for example, if it's not contraindicated with their other medications. Um, so I do think that the more knowledge you have, the more power you have at your disposal to better take care of yourself. Um, and if someone doesn't have those resources or the knowledge to know exactly what's going on, um, in that case, you know, managing the symptoms, whatever they are, is going to be their best resort. Yeah, I appreciate that. And when it comes to, let's say, inflammation, we want to make sure the inflammation is not dysregulated, because there's a healthy level of inflammation. But then in COVID, it just spins out of control. Yes. And, you know, it's hyperactive. So that's why herbs are a great choice, in my opinion, not just because I'm a herbalist, because they tend to actually bring the body into balance and they don't tend to swing one way or another. They tend to really give the body what it needs. So whether it's a nutrient dense herb that's filling in a nutritional gap um, or minerals or, you know, like turmeric has so many phytochemicals that are wonderful for so many different things. Um, and last thing I want to ask you is how attached do people get to their diagnoses? And, you know, does that shift their identity going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I certainly can only represent myself with that answer. Um, I'm guessing it would vary from patient to patient. I think some people hear a diagnosis. And then, you know, that may trigger the five stages of grief, they may want to dissociate from that diagnosis. Or if it really scares them, they might think like, no, that's, that can't be what's going on with me. For some people, such as myself, um, you know, I'm I'm a very direct person. I confront things head on, and knowing a diagnosis um, that sticks to me in a good way because I'm like, okay, I know what I have, so now let's figure out how to treat it. So I think that might be a very different response for each individual. I love that. Well, Salam, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And if you just have one more minute, I would love to do a rapid fire round. All right. Yeah. Thank you for having me and let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, so first question is, what would be your number one advice for someone to improve their quality of life right now? Yeah, at least seven hours of sleep every night. Love it. Okay. Question number two, what's something surprising about you? Like maybe a hobby or a pastime that you love doing that people don't know about? Yeah, I love Top Golf. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, number three, what's your favorite meal to cook or to eat? So this is bad because here we are talking about healthy foods, but I love French fries. They're my guilty indulgence. And I just, I could eat French fries every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love potatoes in all their forms. So no judgment. 
All right. So last question of the day, Salam, how can people get in touch with you? How can they support your work and where can they find your book? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my book can be found on Amazon. It's available in print, EPUB, as well as audio. Um, that's probably the easiest way to find it. It's also on globalbookshelvesinternational.com. That's through my publisher, as well as barnesandnoble.com. Um, people can find me. I think the easiest way is my website, uh, www.authorsalam.com. Through that, you can find links to connect with me. Um, you can find links to my social media pages and we can go from there. Um, best way to support me. I mean, if it's not asking too much, you know, reading my book, purchasing the book. And then if you like it, hopefully leaving an Amazon review and telling your friends about it. Awesome. And I think I saw you have a blog on your website too. So if people want to I do. Yes, yes, I do. Awesome. Well, I'll have all those links in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your story with us. And I wish you a great day ahead. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.